Hello, my name is Katherine Moore, social worker, mom, coffee lover, and founder of Social Workers Rise, where we inspire social workers to connect, expand their knowledge, and change more lives than they ever thought possible. I'm so excited you found my podcast. We will talk everything social work on every level from micro to macro. We will hear the stories of social workers who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. Before we get started in this episode, I wanted to share a resource with you that I wish I knew about a long time ago, one that makes it easy to start a side business to generate more income so you stress less about your money, you're able to pay your student loans without worry, and you're able to afford those online shopping sprees. I see you. No judgment here. I am with you. And what's so great is that as social workers, we have so many powerful skill sets that other people want and need to learn from us. This is such an impactful way to continue making massive change in the world without spending a lot of extra time on this. So I personally use Kajabi to create my online course and I absolutely love it. And right now they're giving away free trials. So click the link in the show notes to get started on your side biz now. And with that, let's get into this episode. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. This week, we're sitting down with Kimberly Young, MSW, LCSW, and you probably know her best as Dope Black Social Worker on Instagram. This episode is so awesome. I love it. We talk about so many different things. We talk about her, how she got into the field of social work, moral injury, you know, how we need to get more black and brown social workers into the field and also support them once they are here, how we are looking for ways to support new and incoming social workers, and also, you know, what you can do to hone your skills as a leader in the social work arena, and also what is next for her. So we cover a lot in a short amount of time. I hope you enjoy. Check it out. Hi, Kim. Hello, Catherine. So grateful and excited to have you on the podcast. And I will admit I'm a little nervous because I've been following you for a long time. (laughs) Oh, no, girl. We just regular. Just regular. (laughs) I just love how how authentic you are and, and, and just like everything that you do, like everything that you, you stand for, you're just dope. Like you fully embody <laughs> being a dope black social worker. Oh, thank you. So I am just really curious to know, you know, we'll just jump right in. Okay. So how did you get started in social work in the first place? Was there a moment in your life that you were like, I want to be a social worker? Yeah, no. Um, there was not. 
Um, and I've shared this story before on other platforms or with other, you know, groups, but I, I didn't even know what social work was until after I graduated from undergrad and started working on my first job out of undergrad. So I had no idea that a profession like social work existed. Um, but once I discovered what it was and what it could be and do for me, it really provided a home for my rage and advocacy and activism to live because um, I had just been doing that for a number of years, starting in middle school. Um, and so, yeah, social work just kind of found me. I didn't seek it out. I didn't go out and have a declaration of becoming or being a social worker. I just found it. Um, and I'm so happy I did because I, you know, it, it feels right and it feels good. Right. Yeah. I know. I feel the same way that it just fully encompasses so many different things and so much of who I am as a person. And there's just so many different avenues that we can branch off to and, and go into in the field. Um, so I know I listened to your podcast with the Melanated Social Workers. Shout out to those guys. They're awesome. Yes, <laughs> they're so awesome. They have their podcast. Definitely head over and listen to them too. Um, and you shared a lot of great knowledge. So I'm not going to, you know, reiterate any, you know, the conversations that you guys had over there. Um, but I did kind of want to talk about your experience as as an advocate and with macro social work, because right now you correct me if I'm wrong, but you're director of family engagement in Virginia. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So full-time I work for a local nonprofit out here in Virginia as their director of family and community engagement. Okay. And before that, well, you are at LCSW, so you mm -hmm. had that clinical experience. How did you make that transition from clinical to to supervisor to director position? I got tired of, um, you know, you, the, the analogy that I used to just kind of sum it up, just got tired of pulling one baby out the, the river at a time and really wanted to move upstream and figure out how do we close up some of these gaps where babies aren't getting thrown in in the first place. Um, and so after working in direct service for over 10 years, I literally just got exhausted um, from doing it it didn't feel good anymore. It didn't feel right. Even though I love and continue to care deeply for the population that I'm committed to, I knew I wasn't giving them my best because I was exhausted. Um, so that's really where um, I really made a commitment. To like, how do I move upstream? How do I kind of prove the various skill sets that I have as being, you know, a contributor to macro work? Because it's not what, it's not the track that I took in my program. I wish I would have known uh, more about just what macro would have to offer. But, you know, I think a lot of social workers get tunnel vision in MSW programs and really think about like, oh, I got to get a license. So I got to stay focused on the clinical piece. But then you get out in the field and you do the work and you realize now, nah, like you really need to have a hybrid approach to the work. Like you can't just choose one over the other. And so, yeah, just after 10, over 10 years of working in, you know, direct practice, I got tired and I wanted to do something different and do something new. And I was afforded this opportunity from just working hard um, over the years out here in Virginia. That's awesome. Yeah, I totally resonate with feeling tired and just needing something different to where you still feel like you're 
like you're being the most effective. And sometimes we just grow out of those roles that were once a really good fit. And now they're not anymore. Now we're not growing anymore. Um, and I, I also wanted to ask, you know, we talked, I heard you talk about moral injury on the melanated social workers podcast. Is that, is that, how did you come about finding that out? Because you say that you weren't necessarily burnt out, that mm-hmm. you were experiencing moral injury. So how did you even come about that? Because I know I wasn't taught that in my grad school. And oh, I don't yeah, know if no. that's, <laughs> I don't know if it's changed at all. But how did you even uh, learn yeah. about that? Yeah, my impression is that it has not changed from um, the conversations I've had with other social workers, post-grad and currently in programs across the country. So I discovered moral injury um, in 2000 and, well, 2018 was the worst year of my career, like the absolute worst year of my career. Kids were dying. Young people I was working with were getting shot and cars were like, it was just bad. It was a bad year. I had lost three young people to um, violence in the city out here where I work. And what I came to discover just with the ebbs and flows of like all those emotions that I was dealing with is, you know, people were trying to label it burnout for me. Um, You know, you maybe, you know, engage in some self-care, do yoga, sniff lavender, blow bubbles. (laughs) I don't want to do any of that. Like, no, like there is something else going on with me and it's not burnout because I love the work too much. Um, And so I had uh, one of my dearest colleagues, um, Camille, who I've done a lot of advocacy work, a lot of the work with the NASW um, over the summer, I was with Camille, but they had shared with me a video about moral injury because we were also preparing to present at a panel um, about trauma-informed care and reclaiming what that actually means. And so they showed me this video and I was like, oh, wow, like, this is it. Like, this is the thing that I'm feeling. This is the thing that I'm experiencing. So I started just to dive into the research around moral injury um, because burnout is the thing that, you know, that's the very end. Like burnout is when you quit being a social worker and you go work at the bank or you go work, you know, at a grocery store. Like you just get out the field completely. And I knew I wasn't there. The moral injury is the piece where you really feel like the work that you're doing is violating your moral code of ethics. Like, it's really making you question, like, like, what is, am I doing something wrong? Like, you're witnessing things that don't feel right. You're asked to do things that don't feel right. And I think a lot of us who do this work deal with that every single day from the systems, agencies, leadership, like, wherever we are doing this work, we are seeing things that don't feel right. We're asked to do things that don't feel right every single day. And that's really what the moral injury is. Like we love the work so much, but not the ways that we're asked to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like in 2018, I discovered what it was and it really set me free, uh, free enough where I quit my job without having one. So that's wow, really, yeah, that's like awesome. that, was, that was the piece of just really being tired. Mhm. Yeah, after you after I had heard about moral injury from you, I did some more research. And I wonder is it is it a is it a risk factor for developing burnout? Mm. It can I think it I think it's the foundation for developing burnout. Um so I think it's bigger than a risk factor. I truly believe it's what the majority of folks in the helping professions experience. They don't really experience burnout. 
Um, you just got good people who are interfacing with bad systems. Like you mm-hmm. got some of the most idealistic people doing the work. Folks filled with a lot of hope. Folks filled with a lot of dreams that are met by systems who don't care about hopes and dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, they care about so, the numbers. Right. They care about the numbers, care about the bottom line, um, care about turning a profit. And so, you know, I think moral injury is the the foundation. Burnout is the easy thing. It's the low-hanging fruit, fruit that people want to reach for, but it's not what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see that in my work in the healthcare industry because, you know, there's people that need our help, but we can't serve them or we're limited in the capacity of what we can do for them. And if if I can't help them, then essentially I'm like, well, you know, sorry, there's just I'm just not Mm -hmm. allowed to do that. And we are the ones telling the people that we really care about the bad news. Like, Oh, there's, there's no one to help you. There's not a service for that. Like, no, I cannot, I cannot do that. Yeah. And it, it gets exhausting. Oh yeah. (laughs) It gets exhausting. And I remember when COVID first started and we had a lot of people calling us for baby formula Mm. Because it was running out and they don't have the money to be stocking up on baby formula. It's just expensive. I mean, it's like $30 a box. Like, it's a lot of money. And and I just, I felt so heavy because, and my family didn't really understand. They're not social workers. They're like, why why do you care so much, Catherine? I'm like, because... (laughs) I'm the one that has to tell a mom, mm-hmm. like, there's no food for your baby. Mm-hmm. That's no. that moral injury piece. Like, yeah. You, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it's definitely real. And, you know, thank you for, for bringing that up and essentially making it mainstream. I feel like you are definitely a leader in the industry that we are, social work is changing. Like 2020 is. is a pivotal pivotal year and i'm so excited uh because we need some change mm-hmm. gotta shake this up we can yes. shake it up. <laughs> <laughs> and i love it because you are doing such amazing work and you're being such an amazing leader um on social media and in your community too and i'm just um you know i'm grateful for you and i'm also wondering where did Dope Black Social Worker, the brand, come from? Like, how long has it been around? Because your website is dope. Like, it is really good. <laughs> and you just yeah. completely are just an amazing, like, you have the whole thing going on. So where did that come from? Yeah, it truthfully, it came from my friends telling me I can't keep doing things for free. Right. So, because <laughs> I, you know, I think you can probably resonate with this, and folks who will listen to this can probably resonate with this. Like, we really end up doing a lot of free stuff, like things we should not be doing for free. Um, and I really just saw that once they put it in my face. I was like, all right, well, let me go ahead and try to frame this thing up um, in a way where, number one, I can protect myself. Um, because we live in a very litigious society, people will sue you over everything. Um, so how do I protect myself, but at the same time, build up on this foundation, but really trying to show other um, Black, young, especially young Black social workers that are coming up, like, you could do it too. Um, a lot of the times, you know, you can't really 
do things or believe things are possible unless you're seeing them. And so it really came from wanting to be able to, you know, get paid for things and be able to show to other young black social workers, like you can do it too. And so, you know, I didn't, the pandemic really motivated me or pushed me to do it. So I didn't really start putting in a lot of effort with building a website or getting the business started or thinking about just the different service deliveries and offerings until April. Um, and so April of this year is when I fully committed to this process and this is where I am now. So I'm grateful, nervous, but it's still very, very exciting. So all of this has been in the past, it was six, wait, seven, seven months? Yes, ma'am. You like are when amazing. <laughs> when people are asking like, well, you know, what did you, what did you do to get the platform? I said, yeah, I didn't go seek this out. Um, I've been on, I've been, this has been me for a very, very, very long time. Um, and people have just found themselves over here. I didn't go out trying to uh, create a platform on social media or otherwise. I was literally, this has just been been me. Um, and people who know that are like, okay, well, this makes sense that where you are, the space you're occupying makes sense for the current moment. Right. That makes sense. So do you have any tips or, you know, things that young black and brown social workers who are just starting out, like, what do you think they should know? What do you think is most important that they know right now? Yeah, that whatever fantasy you had in your mind about social work, that ain't it, right? Like whatever dream you had of saving or whatever it was, like that ain't it um, because that's not what social work is. But I think it's imperative that black and brown social workers um, coming up or those who are early on in their career recognize that it was never meant for you to actually be a social worker. It was always meant for you to be the recipient of goods and services that social workers provide. So the space that you occupy is vital and you got to stand in it fully. Because at the end of the day, we're not supposed to be here. We're not supposed to be practitioners, not supposed to be licensed therapists, not supposed to be social workers doing this work. We're supposed to be on the other end of it, receiving. And so when we can acknowledge that like that is the truth, then I think it's a bit easier to stand in the confidence that you fully belong in this profession. So you got to take up all the space. That's powerful. That's super powerful because from the narratives that I've been hearing this year, and unfortunately it only has been this year, um, is that black and brown people have not felt welcomed into social work programs and the programs have been traumatizing for people of color. (laughs) And, And it hurts my heart that the programs likely have not changed. They're probably still the same. And I definitely agree with you on that. We black social worker is like social work is more black and brown now than it ever has been. Mm -hmm. And it needs to be more so it needs to be more diverse. So, you know, what do you think needs to be done in an ideal world? What do you think needs to be done to recruit more black and brown social workers? Yeah, I think it's beyond just recruiting. Um, there's a lot of different variables that have left us with an overwhelmingly white and female profession um, just going down to the like the cost. 
like social work is incredibly inaccessible. Um, folks like to talk about it like it is, but it is incredibly inaccessible to become a social worker with all of the regulations that we have across the country about who can call themselves a social worker and who can't. And one of the biggest things is you have to have the degree to be able to call yourself a social worker where everybody can't afford, right? The four-year degree for a BSW. And then if you choose to go on to get your MSW or, or up from there. And so there's a heavy and deep cost associated with it uh, that makes it inaccessible to a lot of groups a lot of populations across the country. And then you have, it's overly regulated. Um, just probably think about your own process. You're out there in California, right? Mm-hmm, Girl, yes. I left home because I knew I'm from California. I was like, ah, I can't do this. Um, so like, <laughs> even when you think about the regulatory process of obtaining licensure, um, and it's just different across the country. Like we wouldn't even have a reciprocity across states. So, you know, we have testing bias with the, the board exams. It's overly regulated. It is incredibly expensive. You have to be able to go through college. So there's just so many things that make social work hard um, to even get access to it. And so one of my biggest concerns when it comes to the profession is it's becoming increasingly elitist. Uh, so what is that going to mean for who's able to enter that workforce? And then ultimately, what does that mean for communities that are serviced by social workers? Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I remember out of grad school, I did not start the licensing process because I didn't have the money to start it because right. you had to pay for the test. I ha- I felt like I needed to invest in a in a program to study for that test even though I have my master's like the master's doesn't prepare you for the test which Mm -mm. is complete bs but um I so I was like okay well I'm only gonna do this on my first shot because I don't have money to be wasting failing tests so I got the study materials and the testing fees and the application fee Mm -hmm. and I had to wait until I saved up I think it was a total of like I don't know five six hundred dollars or something um, with all, cause I had to, I wanted to do it all at one time and it is so expensive and they just, you, I know you heard, they just increased yeah, the, fees. the fees for y'all. Oh my God. They doubled mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's crazy. So it's expensive. part of my work, like my long-term vision is to financially help social workers, like whatever that might look like in the future, like a foundation or a nonprofit or something. Cause we need more help. <laughs> I mean, we, I, I think we are the one of the only professions that I'm aware of that there, we do everything for other people, but not for ourselves, mm-hmm. which blows my mind because we would never tell a client to do that, right? We would never tell a client to give all that you have without pouring back into you. Like we wouldn't, we wouldn't guide people to do that, but we're a profession that does that. Like we don't have, you know, a union and social workers deserve worker protection. We don't even have it. Like we don't like, so I think it's just not fair. I don't think we're doing ourselves a service because we're not focusing on what we need as a group to really thrive and do the work alongside community. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's totally true. And the businesses, they get it. You know, the people operating the places that we work in, they get it. And they totally take advantage of 
this narrative that we've had going on of we're not in it for the income, we're in it for the outcome. They lie. So therefore, they, they don't pay <laughs> us for the income. <laughs> oh, it's my income. I don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. There's a lot of changes that need to be done. And, um, and I see you as a leader. So I'm just kind of wondering, you know, what, uh, in your role as a macro social worker or an advocate, how do like, how do, I don't know how you identify yourself. Yeah, um, not as those but, things. <laughs> what, what do you identify with? Look, I'm just out here. Um, I have a real hard time with labels. I get that labels and identifiers are important for other people to be able to categorize how work shows up and what it looks like and how we measure it and monitor it. But I'm just out here. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think one thing that I want to remain committed to is disrupting narratives that we have to find a label for what we do, especially within the profession. Because I think, you know, when when carrying licensure but doing macro work, is already a conflict for some people in itself. And they're like, oh, so you don't do private practice? Nope, not what I do. But I got a license. I could do it if I wanted to. Uh, so yeah, like I don't even identify either way. I'm just out here, Catherine. <laughs> but how do we, see, I like struggle with this because mm-hmm. I'm very like, <laughs> I'm very like, what's the category? What, <laughs> like the categories can overlap. That's okay. But we got to have categories because that's how I have learned to, to um, really identify my skills because when you're applying for jobs and you're looking for work, they want to know what category you mm-hmm. fit in. Yeah. I think, we're multidimensional. And so, yeah, there's categories and they have intersections. And if we had to choose, and if I had to choose, like if I had to choose, I could do it. Like I can categorize myself if I needed to, but I prefer not to, because I think there's more freedom in not doing so. And I think it allows other people to see that they can choose the same. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I'd much rather occupy and stay in that space than any other space that like, you know, these structures and systems tell me I need to conform to. I like that. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) I like that you are just like, you just do you. Your own. Yeah. You're just out here like doing you. I just, I love it because that is not easy for a lot of people, myself included. Uh, We've just been taught like stay in your lane don't make noise, don't get attention, like just simmer down over there. <laughs> so, okay, cool. Um, I, let's see. I feel like that's, that's all the questions that I had written down. I did have a thought though, about when you were talking about, you know, micro versus macro social work, I would argue though, that there is no categories for that, that we're all operating on a spectrum because, because we, are you still there? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So even as a, as a clinical social worker, I'm still operating within the systems. I still need to pay attention to like what's going on in politics. Where is the funding coming from? Is the funding coming? You know, all of these things. And then also to advocate, for my clients that I'm seeing on the micro level and I need to advocate for them, you know, upstream on the macro level. So we're constantly in a flux on 
this this system of of micro and macro, and we're on a um, a spectrum of it. Would you agree or disagree, or do you have a different point of view? No, I think we're definitely on a spectrum, but there's a lot of folks who don't know that that the work is fluid um, because I don't know how often we are are trained or taught that the work is fluid from the from conception like into social work programs we're conditioned to choose at least I can speak for myself like I was conditioned Mm -hmm. to choose I wasn't like there was no other option besides if you're gonna go down this macro track or a micro track at no point did I feel that I was afforded or offered the opportunity to blend them together and to move in between macro and micro um, and so I think from the conditioning of our social work programs to then once we get out in the field, the field is even a place where you, they make you choose. Like, are you going to go into direct service where you're doing care coordination or case management or, um, you know, therapy, whatever it is, being an assessor, intake, whatever you're doing. Or you're going to go on the macro side where you're doing the policy, program management, implementation, nonprofit, like grants, all this other kind of stuff. They really, even in the employment space, they're not blended where people move in between freely and knowing that you have to be able to do it. But then you also see, and Lisa, I have seen uh, in social work and another thing that concerns me is I feel that there are some people who come into the profession as a cheaper way of becoming a therapist. And I think we can't forget what our roots are as a profession And if anybody who's coming into social work just to do therapy, like, this is not for you. Like, this profession is not for you, to your point, right? Like, as someone that's doing outpatient work, but still paying attention to everything else, because it's an understanding that your clients and you and whoever is interfacing with systems. And so anyone who's like, well, yeah, I just want to be a social worker so I could do therapy and only therapy, you got to go somewhere else. Like, this is not the profession for you because you have to be able to move across the spectrum. You got to move in between every single piece of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like it's unethical to only be doing therapy with people who are being hurt by the systems mm-hmm. and not going back upstream and advocating for them there, too. Uh, you're just profiting off of other people's pains mm-hmm. without trying to actually do anything about it. Yeah. So we got a lot of work to do, Kim. <laughs> whole lot of work, girl. Whole lot of work. That's why we got to share it, right? We got to spread the work out. Yes, yes. Um, and I'm curious, you know, what do you have planned? Like, what's next for you? What is 2021 holding for you? So I'm getting ready to shut things down. Like, I'm taking me a good old rest um, for the remainder of the year come December. So I'm really excited about that. Um, and a lot of that is to be able to celebrate what has happened these last seven months, but then prepare for 2021 um, and really get in clear about how I want to use my gifts. And one of those is building out a mentoring program for um, Black and Brown social workers uh, really thinking about like, what is what do I wish I would have had that would have saved me some hurt um, when I was coming up? So working on getting that uh, framed up and ready to go in the spring of next year. So folks can certainly be on the lookout for that. 
as well as just developing some new dope content um, for the webinar series and working with some, um, uh, you know, schools and organizations to do some private um, trainings. So yeah, I have all that stuff that I'm working on and I'm really excited to see where it leads next. That's awesome. That is so, that's super exciting um, because that's, I, yeah, you can do so much with that. And I know that you're going to make such a huge impact. Um, You're always welcome here on Social Workers Rise podcast. (laughs) Like anytime you need to get a message out, let me know. Um, You're always welcome. And that's, I totally resonate with that part of where you said, you know, what would have helped me mm-hmm. when I was starting out? Cause that's why I started social workers rise. When I was starting out, I came from grad school, which was great. You know, I went to, I was in long beach and they were, had a really like great program there. And then I was out in the field and that's it. Like all I had was my yeah. supervisor who, <laughs> you know, like she was great, but I wanted more, you know, I wanted what are other people doing? Like, what is the industry standard? Mm. And like, what is considered acceptable among my peers? I don't know. Cause I don't have much. Like, right. They really, like we really are just out there. Like, I don't think people understand. Like we just be out there as social workers. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I even had a good, I had a good, like a good workplace, a good supervisor, good peers. There's some people just, they're the only social worker in their in their whole agency mm. and they're new and they don't know what they're doing and feel mm. kind of lost. So, you know, I'm glad that we're going, we're developing these systems and these supports for new social workers coming out. Cause it's definitely needed. Yeah. We need, um, we need people, especially black, black and Brown social workers coming up. We need to make sure that, you know, they're supported as well. Yeah. We got to hold each other. And I think that's one of the things you and I have in common is I love me some social work students and early career social workers. I love them. Um, so mm-hmm. whatever I could do to build community and offer support, like that's, I want to do it. Yeah. Are you ever coming back to California? I I'm, I was just there in July. We're going to have to see what this pandemic do, girl. Uh, <laughs> I got a feeling that 46, when he get in office, he going to shut us down. <laughs> oh yeah oh, but I definitely want to come back home um I want to definitely make it back home this summer yeah this summer girl that was like a long time away I know but that's what I look that's what it is that's what it is hopefully I can make it out this summer <laughs> all right all right <laughs> Well, thank you so much. I truly appreciate your time. Um, where can people find you? I see that almost twenty, almost twenty thousand people have already found you on your Instagram mm. profile. Dope black, <laughs> dope black underscore social worker. Yeah. So yeah, people can certainly find me there on Instagram where we get into some good trouble together. So that is dope black underscore social worker. Folks can also find me on my website at dopeblacksocialworker.com. I'm also still learning about the Twitter universe. And so I am there as dope black underscore S-L-W-K-R. Uh, so a short abbreviated version of dope black social worker. And that's primarily it. So like any one of those platforms, please feel free to follow and stay tuned for what 2021 has to offer. Yes. Thank you, Kim. You take care. You do the same. Bye. Bye.
thank you so much for hanging out with me on Social Workers Rise. If you are looking to add another stream of income while making massive impact on the world, then I highly recommend creating your own online course. I personally use Kajabi and highly recommend it. They make it super easy to turn what you know into what you do. Click the link in the show notes to get started today. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Social Workers Rise. If you loved it, write a review and give us five stars wherever you listen to your podcast. This just helps other people just like you find us and join our community. Also, I would love to connect with you on Instagram. You can find me at Social Workers Rise. I can't wait to see you next week. Bye.